All right, welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I am Todd Hagopian, and we have a great episode for you today talking about the Nevada LPE State Convention. With us, we have two guests, one Charles Melchin running for state chair, and also Jeffrey Hurley running for state vice chair, both on the Mises Caucus um, ticket. And so, Charles, how about you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, as Todd mentioned, my name is Charles Melchin. I'm running to be the next uh, state chair uh, here in the Libertarian Party of Nevada um, with uh, the Mises Caucus slate that we're running. Um, definitely have uh, some work to do in trying to rebuild the party. So that's what we're here to do. Awesome. And Jeffrey Hurley, you want to introduce yourself briefly? Yep. My name is Jeffrey Hurley. I am the current chair of the Libertarian Party of Clark County, Nevada. I'm a candidate for vice chair at the States. Um, I've lived, I'm a Las Vegas uh, native, born and raised, uh, worked in the gaming industry for the last 10 years. And yeah, we're ready to, to fix this party and clean things up and, and get it moving in the right direction. Awesome. And let's talk a little bit about where you came from. So not everybody was born a libertarian. Um, Charles, you want to talk a little bit about your background uh, from a political perspective and what brought you from there to here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in what be considered a neocon household. Um, and I didn't seem like an awkward fit at that time, but I'd be running around as like a 14, 15 year old. And whatever I was saying, my mom at one point, I remember her suggesting that I read some Ayn Rand novels. And uh, well, as a 15 year old, the next time I went to a bookstore and looked at an Ayn Rand novel, I'm like, no, I, I don't think I would enjoy reading a, an 800 page book. So it wasn't until wasn't until a few years later in uh, a few months prior to well, in January of 2001, I joined the Navy and um, to be a diver. And so 9-11 happens. And fortunately, I was just a deep sea diver. So we weren't really involved with all that. But I had a lot of time on my hands because there's lots of like hurry up and wait in the military. So I started reading all of Ayn Rand's literature um, and just really got into it. And that just sort of started snowballing. Uh, it, so I was really in that mindset when I finished the military. Um, I you know, started college and I fell in with uh, some really good people who introduced me to uh, essentially anarcho-capitalism. And, you know, I started reading different literature, Rothbard, Bastia, um, Hazlitt, stuff like that. And so by the time I graduated, uh, in spite of my professors, like in spite of their best efforts, I graduated just a full-blown anarcho-capitalist. Um, and so that would have been about the time that Ron Paul was doing his 2008 uh presidential candidacy and so i was eager to get involved with that um yeah that went the way it did uh same thing with 2012 um so up through that time i really haven't had even until recently uh i haven't had a ton of engagement with the libertarian party um even though i've always been uh, libertarian, more or less, right? Uh, Anarcho-capitalists in, in the family. And um, it, so it wasn't until, man, especially my involvement with the Libertarian Party of Nevada. Um, when I moved to Nevada about six years ago. Yeah. And uh, it was, like I, I went to the 2018 convention. And I could tell that someone was just a little bit off, but it wasn't too obvious. And it wasn't until the Ron Paul week thing that they did, which we can get into uh, later on, um, that I realized like how bad the problem was and really got activated. And the Mises caucus naturally was already starting to pick up steam at that point. You know, you'd had, that was after Tom Woods and Dave Smith and uh, Pete and uh, Scott had gotten on board with it. And so, uh, yeah, I, I just sort of fell into that and have been a, an organizer, one of the organizers, along with Jeff um, and a few others here in the state to sort of see, you know, get involved with the party. And so awesome. that leads me up to where we are now. Yeah. Fantastic. So you're a state organizer for Mises as well? 
Yeah. Um, since yeah. about that time, um, Jeff and I were definitely one of the earliest. And so we've sort of, sort of fell into it. Very cool. Jeff, same question. Where do you come from politically and how did you end up here? Okay, so growing up, uh, both my parents were apolitical and they never even participated in politics until I made them caucus for Ron Paul. But um, I was introduced to the importance of firearms and using firearms at a, a young age. Um, I was also given, you know, I was never really uh, raised in any specific religion. I was given religious freedom and kind of allowed to just kind of explore and go on my own journey. Um, I have family members that were in to some Eastern religion. So I was introduced to, you know, ideas like karma and reincarnation. And that kind of, in my mind, kind of introduced me to the nap before I even realized what the nap was. And I've also had an entrepreneurial spirit from a young age. And um, also, too, I kind of always never really understood the drug war. I never really understood how, you know, somebody consuming a substance could make them bad. You know, people should be judged by the content of their character. So I had a lot of libertarian leanings before I knew what a libertarian was. But then um, when I was in high school, I started getting interested into politics and my parents were apolitical, but both my grandfathers, um, I'd have a lot of conversations with them, but they were both uh, pretty much run of the mill neocons. Um, you know, at that time, it was, I think I became of age right before 2004. So they were both George Bush supporters. And that was kind of my influence. But then once 2008 rolled around, and Ron Paul was in the debates, um, I was converted by what Dave Smith refers to as the Giuliani moment. And I mean, from that moment on, I was a Paul bot all the way um, supported Ron Paul in 2008 was a delegate to the state convention here in Nevada. Um, supported his campaign in 2012, was a delegate in 2012. Um, and then I kind of, after that, I kind of stepped away a little bit. Um, and in 2016, um, you know, I kind of kind of stayed with the GOP for a while because I felt, felt there was this experiment of trying to make the GOP libertarian. But after Trump was nominated, I kind of felt that that experiment had completely failed and it didn't go in the direction that I thought it was going to go in. So I actually changed my registration to Libertarian at the time. And then I went to go see what the Libertarian Party was doing, uh, got involved a little bit with the Gary Johnson campaign. And I went to a couple meetups. And at that time, the Libertarian Party of Nevada seemed to be in an okay state. Um, it wasn't until like Charles pointed out the Ron Paul week, I saw that Ron Paul week and I noticed something was terribly wrong. And that's right around the same time that I was getting involved. I think it was shortly after that I got involved with the Mises caucus and joined up with Charles and became a state organizer. Um, and yeah, I mean, in over the last year, I mean, I've done um, a lot of organizing and participated in different events and bringing us all the way to here. And uh, now here we are. Yep, no, that's awesome. And I actually, my story is very similar. We won't go into it because people have heard it before, but uh, I literally changed my, um, or started to become and call myself a libertarian, a full libertarian, the day that Cruz lost in Indiana, I believe, when, when Trump more or less locked it up. And it was clear that the Republican Party was moving in a different direction. So I feel you on that. Um, and so, okay, so very interesting. So let's talk a little bit about um, that Ron Paul week and the reaction to it. And then the introduction to the Mises Caucus uh, and how that kind of led you both down this road to where you are today. So Charles, if you can talk about what went through your mind, what were your next steps, um, how the Mises Caucus kind of pulled you in and and how that made you look at liberty differently and look at your participation in the party differently um, yeah absolutely um so i remember the ron paul week episode pretty distinctly because i was uh, sort of stranded in the middle of uh at this tiny little town uh, halfway between reno and vegas um, I was stranded there for a couple of days. And so I get online and I, all of a sudden I see these Facebook posts coming from the Libertarian Party of Nevada that I, I think it's an honest assessment of the state party was 
attacking Ron Paul. Um, Jeff, would you say that that's an honest assessment of what was going on? Um, yeah, I mean, it was kind of more of a backhanded why Ron Paul is not a libertarian. Yeah, he, why he's not good enough to be a libertarian, right? It's it's the ways that he deviates from the libertarian party, and this is a problem, um, sort of thing. And and uh, you know, for one of the days, because they tried to do a series of them, and they did five different installments, um, you know, focusing on issues like immigration, abortion. One of them focused on the newsletters from 30 years prior. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's these, they focused on topics that even within the libertarian community, there's always a lot of debate over on exactly how these issues should be handled. But apparently because Ron Paul um, didn't subscribe purely to the libertarian plank, he's someone that should be openly ridiculed by a state party. And so I remember when I saw this, um, yeah, it's stuck in a hotel room. I uh, I wrote a screed that essentially was like, there's a lot of really lucky libertarians out there because at least they have like phenomenal state affiliates that they can work with. But that is not the case here in Nevada. Um, and so as soon as I got back into town, I started yeah, hooking up with people through the, uh, the national Mises caucus groups to start to organize, identify other people in the Las Vegas area that uh, I could network with. And so we could start meeting up and um, start organizing so that we could actually influence the party in some way. And that would have been, that would have been, all this would have been uh, the first week of July in 2019. So we're slowly coming up on the second anniversary of it, which we're, we're hoping to do something with that. Yeah, well, let me just tell you <clears throat> from an outsider's view, because this is interesting. Kevin and I are sitting here texting that we had no idea that Nevada did a Ron Paul week. What we had heard at the time were one or two, you know, tweets or conversations probably based on one of these episodes that you're talking about. Um, but we had no idea that Nevada had done kind of an anti Ron Paul week. Um, so that is really interesting to find out uh, and, and interesting for people outside of Nevada to understand kind of where the leadership's head was uh, two years ago, and, oh. and obviously based on recent tweets, probably still is. Man, I'm pretty blown. Oh. Please, please. Sorry, I was saying I'm pretty blown away by this because this particular group out of Nevada, what I've seen out of them is, you know, we shouldn't be attacking any libertarians. We shouldn't be doing this. But they had a whole week dedicated to attacking one libertarian in particular, which is just insane to me. Well, I imagine their defense of that or their retort would be he's a small L libertarian at best, and they may even claim that that's not the case. It's very much uh, I, in a recent, I did it. Um, unfortunately, this is really consistent with their messaging, and they have very much a, a, a gatekeeping elitist type of you're not good enough to be a libertarian sort of they're consistent about maintaining that mentality and sort of imposing it on the state party, which probably explains why when uh, this Mises group started forming out here, it, uh, it was such a small, stagnant, um, it's like it's a social club more than anything, because they drove so much talent away from the party, um, which is certainly something Jeff is pretty familiar with. Yeah, yeah Jeff, um, you want to talk about Ron Paul week and, and what that meant to you and why that motivated you? Well, part of it would be if they gave other libertarian uh, figures equal treatment, it wouldn't be so bad. But they went ahead and did the Ron Paul week. And I believe that was in July of 2019. And like on their Twitter, they had not made a single tweet since that. So basically, anytime somebody would go visit the LP of Nevada's Twitter, that is what they would see. And the first time they actually started tweeting again was within, within the last few weeks. And um, yeah, I mean, we can get a little more into that. Um, I mean, there was a, a certain figure named Jason Wyman who has been pretty toxic. He's so bad that even the establishment kind of drove him away. It appears that he was the one that had taken over the LP of Nevada's Twitter and was tweeting all this stuff that everyone's been seeing over the last few weeks. Um, I guess he still had access. 
But now if you go look at the Twitter, not only have they removed all the tweets, they scrubbed everything. There's no Ron Paul week. Everything's gone because they knew um, how toxic it was. They knew every time that he jumped on and was making a tweet that all it was doing was recruiting for us. And um, so, yeah, um, (laughs) now they've removed it all because they realized how bad of a look and decision that was on their part. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely a motivating factor for me as well. And, um, it kind of, to me personally felt like it was just kind of a way to say, you know, to kind of just rub it in everyone's face, like F you to anybody that's a right-leaning libertarian or anybody that entered libertarianism, um, through the Ron Paul movement. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. I did not know that was Jason Wyman, uh, that was responsible for that. I, crack up every time I see that guy um, because I disagree with most of it. And my cousin's name is actually Jason Wyman. So every, <laughs> time it, every time it comes across Twitter, I'm like, what is, oh yeah, that guy. <laughs> well, and now they've created the LP of Nevada unauthorized and oh, I'm yeah. almost hundred percent positive that is him behind it. Oh yeah. No, he announced it. Wait, oh, okay. Yeah. If he was the one tweeting from the LP Nevada, he announced it that day. He said, you know, um, this tweet's going to be taken down, but go follow this unfiltered account. Right. That's where we'll be. Um, yeah, I got all kinds of shit on Facebook for a for a response I sent to that, but whatever. Um, hey, I got called. I got called a Nazi <laughs> by them and that group. So if I'm a Nazi and I'm way far left from you guys, and Ron Paul's not a libertarian, what is an acceptable libertarian to this group? <laughs> Uh, Bill Weld, um, Dick yeah. Cheney, yep, uh, <laughs> Adolf Hitler. Um. <laughs> no, but I mean, I mean, on a serious note, like, are they? Uh, I think they like who is there? Like, who is their uh, shining example? So, okay, I, would... I think I think more than anything, they like the people who do a good job of ingratiating themselves with the establishment as much as possible and which is why bill weld is kind of a serious answer and so would be justin amash like the circle that sort of that the libertarian party of nevada's current leadership really runs in like they are really excited to vote for justin amash and like not not to take anything away from justin amash like you don't want to judge someone by their by their fans but i feel like in a lot of ways he's their ideal candidate i know that in this past elections uh, for the LP presidential candidacy, they were really for a while putting a lot of emphasis on Lincoln Chafee. Um, when that didn't work out, they recruited uh, Judge Gray into uh, the fold and then uh, they abandoned him as there was like rumors that Amash might might hop into, hop into the scrum. But uh, ultimately they sort of abandoned him and just uh, went with Jorgensen instead. So I hopefully that answers your question, but it seems like it the, does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I was a I was a Judge Gray person too, Judge Gray supporter too. So I mean I can I can kind of see that, but even him, he has some things where he's a lot closer to Ron Paul than it seems like they are. So I'm I'm really curious about what they're I would like to yeah. speak to them and see what like what their shining example would be. And I can I can honestly say, coming from uh, somebody who talked, you know, presidential politics to everybody around the country, that Nevadans tended to be the ones that literally uh, defended Weld, like to the hilt. Um, they defended him after the Hillary Clinton thing. They defended him uh, when he said he was going to run again. They even defended him when he decided not to run again, you know what I mean? Like, it, and, and broke its word to everybody. Um, and then the Chafee thing just blew me away. And, and Kevin, you and I know of somebody in Oklahoma that followed this same trajectory of being a Weld supporter and then a Chafee supporter and then a Gray supporter and then a, a Mosh supporter and finally a Jorgensen slash maybe Biden supporter. Um, and, uh, and it's just a really weird type of i guess libertarian viewpoint that would that would make all those people ahead of some of the other choices that were out there and are going to be out there going forward so i don't know the answer to your question kevin other than i just think that it's a um 
it's a it's a mushy middle libertarian you know that that would take that route I, I, yeah it, I, it seems I, oh go ahead i, I know that uh there's been a couple times the analogy made of like they just they want someone who has the best chance of getting a seat at the big boy table and if they can just get that seat they're going to change something um but it's like it's a rigged game and they're not going to like how much do we need to compromise our principles to get that seat at that table? And I, I think that for me, I have a very formative moment shortly after the Ron Paul, it was, I think it was September of 2019, was that debate between the then chairman, Nick Sarwak and Dave Smith and seeing how that unfolded. And that moment where you literally had the chairman of the Libertarian Party suggest that good members of the party should vote for Dick Cheney or he to run with the on our ticket, which just blew me away and really solidified how lacking in principles some very major figures within the party actually are and how drastically this party needs to change. And that mentality, that, that mindset, philosophy seems to permeate uh, the Libertarian Party of Nevada just as much as it permeated the, uh, the chairman at that time. And who are some of the, just so we can get the lay of the land of Nevada, talk about who's in leadership now, who's kind of been, who are the kingmakers in Nevada? So for the past four years, uh, Jason Smith has been the uh, the chairman. Prior to that, he was the vice chair for, for some time. Um, and he's very much at the center of what's been happening. Now, he's not running for re-election. He's deciding to step down. Um his reasons for that, I don't know if they've been clearly stated. I, I feel that it's kind of similar to the national chair race in 2020, where the chairman had just burnt all of his bridges. So they're trying to replace him with uh, yeah, a, a, a suitable clone, more or less. Um, for uh, currently, the vice chair is David Colborn, um, who is. Um, they all uh, cut from the same cloth, more or less. They've been a social club for a long time. They've known each other for a long time. He writes a weekly column for one of the local newspapers. And so oftentimes we'll get some of the most insightful comments. Um, not insightful like, wow, that's enlightening. More like, oh, apparently that's what he believes. Um, where you know, just recently he wrote an article saying that libertarians who are aggressively opposing the vaccine passports, they need to shut up about that and everything else. And so uh, I, it's very confusing um, why he, their brand of libertarianism is difficult for me to identify with. I guess I'll say it that way. Um, the secretary is Lou Pombo. Um, he's been working with the party forever. Uh, he seems much saner and easier to work with than much of the uh, current leadership for the state party. Um, and then the current treasurer is Tim Hagen, who's also the national treasurer. And he's, he's the one that's going to be running for chair, um, essentially as Jason Smith's replacement. Um, there's three other uh, executive committee members as well. Uh, Deborah Payne, um, Dave Jones, who's recently stepping down and then Robert Van Strotter, who's one of their congressional candidates. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I'm actually going to be running against Hagen as well, assuming that he runs for LNC treasurer again. Um, so you and I will have the same opponent for different races. Um, so, so that's the group that kind of runs and has run Nevada for some period of time. Um, based on what you said earlier, it sounds like that wasn't exactly the same group who was in charge of this terrible Twitter account, though, other than they should have been. Well, yeah, it was, if anything, at best, it was just mismanagement and they let someone else right. maliciously use it. Like, that's the best case scenario. And yeah. we, don't, we don't know who was responsible for each tweet. Um, yeah, the ones where they came out and I, I'm pretty, it's, you could, they've never said so after, like the, recently, as Jeff mentioned a bit ago, um, they put out a tweet su suggesting that, well, saying that they support 
vaccine passports as long as they're done by the private sector, right. um, <laughs> which is it's problematic. And you would think that the state leadership, because there was no so much blowback on them taking that position, that if the state leadership felt otherwise, they would have been like, oh, no, we need to make a clarification. Like that was a rogue actor. And in reality, like, yes, we recognize that private entities can use vaccine passports, but we vehemently disagree and we'll right. do everything we can to oppose them doing that. Exactly. Yeah, I, um, I called out Hagen and, and said, take a stand on this because uh, you're, you're running for chair and, you know, you didn't, you're, you're basically your state didn't tweet for an entire year during the lockdowns and then you come out for vaccine passports and 50% of your tweets since then had been calling Mises caucus racist, you know what I mean? Or trying to get people to come to convention who weren't real libertarians just so you could beat the Mises caucus. Um, and so, so I was very happy to see them actually take action if they took action, you know, and take all that stuff down. Um, nobody, to your point, nobody did what leaders do, which is come out and say, we were wrong you know, and we're correcting it. Had they done that, they would have gotten an extra, you know, check mark in my book. Um, yeah. But I am glad that it got taken down. Uh, I am not happy that Weinman's, um, Weinman's tweet got left up for multiple hours directing people to this new Twitter account that'll be, you know, having the same message as the old Twitter account, because that was essentially an endorsement, unless, unless the state party literally didn't have the sign-in information, then that was purposeful. Um, yeah. I kind of get the sense that them deleting their entire Twitter history was as much scrubbing evidence as anything else, because yeah. like you had the, you had the Ron Paul week at the beginning, and then at the end you have them endorsing vaccine passports, but then in the middle, there's absolute silence for 18 months. while the, the governor, the governor of most states, but including our state were just, tyrannically ruining the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. And in that time, they never said a single word. And so like, to me, that's damning. Like if, if our state party can't come out and oppose those sort of actions, what use are you? Why do you even exist? If ever there was a time to come out and say something, that would have been it. And yeah. instead it was silence. Yeah, I found it outrageous that we just had a year of the largest assaults on our liberties, and there hasn't been a single tweet since Ron Paul week. And then the first time they actually tweet again, they become active, is to then attack another, you know, LP affiliate. So the first thing that they do isn't, you know, to condemn any actions or assaults on our liberties, it's to attack other libertarians. Yeah, yeah, I forgot even about that one, because it wasn't just the Mrs. Caucus, it was Kentucky. Mm -hmm. um, and then I don't know if they hit New Hampshire or not, but, but yeah, they came at, they came after other state affiliates, uh, extremely hard and basically threw them right under the bus. And I was like, you guys have so much, so much that we could come after you for. Why would you even do this? Um, well, and I have to give credit to Jeff after that, because shortly before that happened, Jeff had, we, we were fortunate enough to like really rally the troops and get Jeff elected to be uh, the county chair uh, in mid-March. And so when that happened, like he already had access to at least the Clark County, which is the county that includes Las Vegas, uh, to access to that social media. And so he was able to take a stand against the positions that the state party. And so uh, kudos to him on that. No, I had to actually create that account because things were so badly mismanaged. I didn't have access to any accounts. It took a month just to get it, to complete the transition. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I created that Twitter from scratch. But um, well, I'm yeah, talking I think, the Facebook one as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Facebook one. Yeah, you're, you're correct. The Facebook one I did take over. Um, but, yeah, that Twitter tweet alone probably, I don't know, got me about 400 followers <laughs> coming from zero. So. There, there's a, a long way to go, but yeah, that was, uh, it worked out quite well. And, and I don't really like to use, um, you know, party social media to partake in any kind of caucus infighting. I think it should be used to promote the party, but I just thought that was so outrageous that I just, you know, I had to say something. 
Yeah. Now, this is really interesting stuff. Um, so talk about the convention that's coming up. Um, yeah, so May 1st, uh, we're going to be having, it's a one-day state convention. Um, so it's a Saturday, going to be starting up at 9 o'clock. Um, just recently, they released the agenda, and they're sort of, uh, they've provided information regarding remote participation. Um, so people from all across the state will be able to participate. And thank goodness that's happening, because um, uh, as a quick aside, uh, for last year's national convention, the uh, state leadership team, they saw fit to threaten to disband the entire state party unless remote participation was offered to any and all delegates for the national convention. Um, and, and they did this, they did this without ever once consulting any members of the state party. And they did this without actually even contacting the alternates who had been elected. That, right that were already willing to go to Orlando. They just, they decided to preemptively in the middle of the night, essentially, um, to threaten to disband the state party unless they got their way. Um, so it, uh, it's shaping up to be a good one. Um, so wait, just, sorry, yeah, let, me, please. let me back you up there and make sure I understood. Yeah. What, what did they decide for this one? So there's- had to be in person? Uh, no, there is remote participation um, for this one. Um, it's an option available to state party members. And uh, it, it's it's probably going to be, it's going to be interesting. So the, the national chairman, Joe Bishop Henchman, is coming out, presumably to support uh, his treasurer in the LNC, Tim Hagen. Um, and they all really travel in the same circles, more or less. Um so uh, most of the XCOM, we're feeling really good about it. Um, we have a full slate. There's seven positions. We have seven Mises, um, Meacock's running for uh, one for each of those positions. And it seems like as far as strong opposition, there's at most two of those positions that are going to be highly contested. Um, one for uh, the chair and one for vice chair. The rest, there, there are some people that are running, but they're not necessarily establishment. They're not necessarily allies and work in the same camp. Um, yeah, you guys had Jesse on uh, yep. a couple of weeks ago. Phenomenal individual. Um, he he came into the party because of the work that we'd been doing and the outreach and the social events that we were organizing. And like he mentioned, he came to a social event like on a Friday night. And the next morning, he goes to the county convention, uh, the same one where Jeff got elected. And um, he ran for vice chair there. It didn't work out for him, but his enthusiasm and like that guy, he's he's always doing something. And so it's frustrating that individuals like that haven't already been an active part of the Libertarian Party. Um, yeah. He he is he is running against Jeff, so yeah, I I am personally I'm I'm on Team Jeff in this case, but like we definitely should utilize um, Jesse because uh, yeah. he's going to be a phenomenal asset. So he's also running with uh, another. Uh, so he comes from Yale and he works with another uh, individual named Zena, and she's going to be running for secretary. Um, yeah, we have another secretary that's going to be running and, and best of luck. Both of them will be phenomenal options. Um, it seems like there's a good chance that no incumbents really are going to be running. Like it's just going to be, they've all just abandoned ship as far as yeah. we can tell. Um, crazy. Yeah. So it's going to almost certainly be, and I can't see any scenario where on May 2nd, we have a, a new leadership team that's not head and shoulders better than what we have today. Um, obviously, they're setting a really low bar right now, um, doing nothing but nothing and insulting libertarians. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the future is bright. We just want to make it as bright as possible. And so yeah. that, that's what we're, really what we're looking at. Well, I'll make two points before, before we move on. One... I, I found it fascinating when we were talking to Jesse um, that he was interested in libertarianism for an extended period of time, um, but had never heard of or from the party. Um, 
even after trying to get in touch with the party. The reason I found that fascinating is not because that's unique. Uh, we see that all over the country. It was because it happened in Nevada and people think of Nevada as a very strong state party because they have power in the national party um, or perceived power in the national party uh, for the reasons you mentioned before. You know, they have an LNC member and they got pulled with the chair and the previous chair. Um, and so I found that fascinating that even in a state like Nevada, somebody that was interested in the party didn't get in. And what we found in many states, including our own, at different times is that the people in power aren't incentivized to grow the party uh, because their power then becomes lessened or potentially is put at risk. Um, the other thing that I would probably uh, want to mention only because you, you brought up the fact that, um, that Nevada came out so strongly against the um, in-person convention is that when we um, as Oklahomans censored, censured uh, Nick Sarwark for what we believe was going to be an attempt to circumvent the agreed upon deal to do 50% um, of the convention online and 50% in person. Um, Nevada actually, we believe, or the rumor was um, that they, very, they came very close to censuring Oklahoma for censoring <laughs> the chair for something that the chair ended up doing um, because our censure was we think he's going to do this and we need him to not do it and then of course he ended up trying to do it and quitting when he didn't get his way um, so anyway just kind of an aside there uh, yep. that, the, that is the type of leadership that Nevada has had um, in the last two years for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the Nevada leadership we censured Nick Sarwark for trying to circumvent the LNC vote um, that allowed for an in-person uh, convention and Nevada tried to censure us because apparently state parties don't have the power to censure national chairs when they're circumventing the, the LNC. <laughs> uh, kudos to the uh, Oklahoma Libertarian Party. Um, yeah, we've definitely gotten the sense when the... Libertarian Party of Nevada does things like that, those sort of initiatives, um, including the threatening to disband unless you had remote participation for delegates. We, we've gotten the sense that there's a good chance that those sort of ideas are spearheaded by um, unelected national figures within the libertarian community. If, if that makes sense. Um, uh, there's a very tight relationship between a lot of the uh, people in the leadership here and figures like Adam Bates and uh, Andy Craig. And so uh, there, there's, there's quite a bit of indication that it's coordination. <laughs> and if there's something that they would like a state party to do, but since they're not actually, uh, if since they're not any sort of, they don't have any sort of official capacity within the party, if there's something they want to do, it's they'll usually reach out to their friends here in Nevada, and then you know it's it's very friendly territory, and they're like, yeah, sure, we'll carry this ball forward. And but that's been the case for a few years now, it seems. So, Kevin, I think we finally got to your answer: the type of libertarians that Nevada. Yep. Yep. Are they Bates and Craig libertarians? Which is hilarious because those two guys in particular, <laughs> I just find hilarious because they constantly every time they respond to me which is often um they they like to reiterate the fact that they have no idea who i am but they always <laughs> take my tweets and put them on facebook and and make fun of me you know what i mean they have no idea who they who i am but they follow me and take all this stuff so that they can use it as fodder <laughs> it, it, it's it seems like those characters specifically like it's they baffle me because they seem to, they're always handing out advice when there's zero evidence that their strategies are actually effective, right? Like them telling you or someone like Dave Smith, like what their messaging strategy should be. Like the recent, the hilarious uh, fat Dave Smith account that recently came up, it's existed for about a week now. And it already has more followers than either Adam Bates or Andy Craig have. And they've been around for a decade. Um, 
So if if Fat Dave Smith is already beating you in like your Twitter reach, maybe you should do some like introspection and figure out, like ask yourself if your messaging strategy is actually all that effective. And maybe you shouldn't be lecturing people. Fat Dave Smith yet. I may know who is Fat Dave Smith. What? Oh, come on. Spill the beans off air. I'm not saying anything. All is, I'm saying is this is Kevin Hobie look, uh, admitting that he is Fat Dave Smith? That's what I'm picking I, up I'm on not, here. I'm not, I'm not Fat Dave Smith, but what I will tell you is, I, I don't know if you guys know, but like Jesse Welsh, uh, Reed Coverdale, David Fight, you know, Dave Smith, the, everybody, all of us are involved in the Unity Coalition, mm. right? So I'm the first elected Unity Coalition member which is like this thing that Dave Smith's involved in to try and get the caucuses to stop fighting. Um, and yes, I know who that is. There are other accounts that are, that are it's all one big thing, but yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I can attest though, Kevin is not fat Dave Smith. Fat <laughs> Smith is way funnier than Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> it is a fantastic account. Uh, I am enjoying him quite a bit. All right. Uh, before we break here, let's talk about how this uh, convention is going to play out. And I'm not looking for predictions because I know what yours would be. But talk a little bit about how many people you expect, how many people Mises is going to bring. Um, in Oklahoma, for example, we had less than 50%. So we still had to work across the aisle uh, to get our folks elected and to get our initiatives put through. Uh, but that was able to happen. Tell us if you have a strategy you're implementing. Just kind of talk about the convention and how it's going to play out. Jeff, did you want to cover this one? Um, You're you're uh, as up to speed on this as I am. Right. Yeah, I could speak to some of this. Um, I don't know how much we want to reveal, but I mean, but by the time this comes out, it might be too late. No, No, we're dropping this. We're dropping this in the morning. Yeah, so... This will be out a couple of days before the convention, so don't say anything that's going to mess you up. Uh, I don't know. Jeff, yeah. feel free to say as much as you want. Well, I could speak to a lot of um, what's been going on behind the scenes. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Anthony Samaroff, and I've been doing a lot. He's going to be coming out, and he's going to come to the convention and wanted an opportunity to speak. Um, Angela McArdle is coming also, mm. and wow. I've been reaching out to the establishment for like I don't know, more than a month saying, hey, you know, I have these guest speakers and they kept telling me, no, we never add guest speakers to the agenda. It never happens. Um, And then, of course, once JBH says he's coming, what do you know? Once they post the agenda, JBH gets his 10 minute time slot, but we basically get a big middle finger. So I I expect one of the first things we're going to do is vote for an amended agenda to give Angela and Anthony both 10 minutes to speak. Um, That's going to be the first order of business. Um, but it doesn't sound like we're going to get to the candidate elections and the bylaw amendments until after lunch, which I don't know about that either. Um, it'd be nice if the bylaw amendments kind of had taken place first because it would give all of our Mises caucus slate a chance to speak in, in, you know, in, um, support or in opposition to, and it'd kind of give them a little more extra time to shine beyond what they're going to be given to speak in their speech. Um, everybody you know, it's, of course, we're going to have a speech. We're, we're working on all that, working on polishing those. Um, the call to order doesn't actually take place till 1030. It's going to start, I guess they're going to start credentialing at nine. I don't know why they're going to spend so much time credentialing. It shouldn't take that long. Um, but that's another, another thing I've been really working on, too, is just making sure Um, I have some reason to believe that there's been possibly funny business in the past with allowing people to participate in conventions. And so I've really, we've put a plan in place and have made certain agreements to make sure that everybody credentialed is supposed to be there. Um, Something that we're going to be keeping our eyes on. But, um, you know, like like Charles said, we don't want to (laughs) reveal exactly how many people we have turning out. Um, at this point uh, it is it is highly contentious everything that they can do they, they are doing um they're uh, yeah there's they've been secretly calling people and past members and 
you know, kind of like that tweet that you'd seen about us all being these right bit right wing bigot transphobe uh, conspiracy theorists. Well, they've been sending those messages in private to past dues paying members and things like that too, just spreading lies about us doing everything they can. Um, I, I do want to mention um, really quickly. Uh, so the the group because. Uh, Nevada is really split into two different metropolitan areas, the Vegas area and the Reno area. And the team that we have up in the Reno area is absolutely spectacular. Um, they have they have been absolutely kicking butt. They're amazing. Um, there have been two conventions that uh, I've been able to attend this year, the Clark County one, and then the Washoe County, which is where Reno is. And uh, the Clark one was uh, like... The, 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 Barely, we barely succeeded there in being able to really enact some change. But in Washoe, it, we just, they, they, they steamrolled them. Um, up there, we've got Katie and Chris and Brad and all of the, and Spencer. They have just been kicking butt at organizing and getting everybody to turn out. And at the Washoe convention, there were about 18 people in, in attendance and 16 of them were like hardcore meacocks. It was just obliteration. And so uh, we think that, that it's possible that the state convention could be one or the other. It could be like Clark County where every single vote matters. Because if just one person fewer had gone to the Clark County one, right now, we, that wouldn't have been a win. And so, or it could just be an absolute blowout like oh, Washoe maybe. was dynamics are a little bit different too because essentially you have um the mises caucus candidate charles you got the pragmatist caucus candidate which is tim hagan and then you have another guy brandon um who you know kind of changes the dynamic and i'm you know it's it's to be seen how many people he actually brings and then you know if we go into a runoff who they will actually side with um but i just know from the socials we've been organizing and everything we've done and all the work we put in. Um, you know, I don't want to be too confident, but I, I feel pretty good going into this convention and we're still pushing at this last minute. We're doing everything we can just to, you know, get another 10 people <laughs> to turn out yeah. if we can. So, yeah, well, and, and to set the stage, just so people realize like there are a few states in the country where Mises was not supposed to play a role. Yeah, you know they were not supposed to succeed, and Nevada was one of those well, states. Well, so we went the from fact the... that we're having this conversation right now is a win. You guys have done great work over there, um, and and this will be a fun convention to watch. But you guys at this point have already taken this way further than people thought you would. You know, eighteen months ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, at the last state convention, um, how many people did we have, Charles? Like eight to ten. Yeah, it was right in there. Yeah. And so, um, like I said, we don't want to give our own numbers, but after you see this convention, you're going to really see um, what has been done. And I mean, we have to really thank people like the thought leaders in our movement, like Dave Smith and Tom Woods mm-hmm. and all of those guys. I mean, we're just been here to facilitate, um, but they've been pushing everybody, you know, really they're the ones that are getting people to turn out. And we've just been doing the things behind the scenes to, to well, give these people something to be part of. And we also need part of. credit where it's due, right? We also need to thank Jason Smith and David Colborn and Jason <laughs> Weinman, because if they weren't putting their foot in their mouth on a daily basis, there would not be nearly as much energy from, from libertarians to come out and actually get this change to happen. Right. Well, and their total mismanagement of the party and their bylaw amendment violations, collapse Mm -hmm. in fundraising, failure in messaging, you know, driving talent out of the party, not having a single director position filled. There's Um, a few issues. Yeah. Just upside down for four months in the middle of a general election year, Um, (laughs) you know, not taking interest in in, in motivated members, as you had mentioned, Jesse earlier, um, and then doing anything they possibly can um, to alienate anybody that's slightly right leaning anytime anyone want to enters any of their social media sites um you know the the fact that they're more interested in fighting with people than educating and building allies we're, uh, we're in a charm position because they just make our job easy for us because <laughs> if if they were halfway good it'd be so much more difficult to get people energized because it'd be like eh, it's not so bad but like everybody recognizes how terrible it is 
I mean, even yeah. the fact that the last convention that we had congressional candidates that should have been delegates to the national, but they actually voted for their own family members over mm-hmm. people that were actually putting in work. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on. So, but, And one thing that should be noted really quickly in this conversation is the fact that next year, the national convention is going to be in Nevada. And so there's that as well. And I, I think, Todd, to, to what you were saying earlier, there's definitely that sense of like Nevada is one of those safe states for like this cohort in the LNC. LNC. And when they voted to put it in Nevada, the thinking was that's a safe state. That's one of our states will be able to have home field advantage at that. And yeah. so if we can be successful at this convention, we'll be able to just turn that dynamic on its head. Exactly. Well, this has been a fantastic episode, guys. You guys both did great. And so you guys now, are, our audience knows that this is essentially Charles and Jeffrey versus Adam Bates and Andrew Craig. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, come and get us, guys. <laughs> so, uh, Charles, real quick, uh, tell the audience where they can find you if they want to ping you before the election. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, I'm not on all the social medias and only kind of within the past year have I started using Twitter at all, but you can find me under my name on uh, Twitter. So Charles Melchin. Um, and then I'm, if you look for me on Facebook, I'm the only Charles Melchin on all of Facebook, which makes <laughs> things kind of easy. <laughs> and Jeffrey, where can people find you? Well, I am, I'm on Twitter at Jeffrey P. Hurley. I'm also on Facebook under Jeffrey P. Hurley. Um, also, if you want to contact me, um, I do have um, Jeffrey Hurley at LP Nevada. So if you go to the, if you just do clark.lpnevada.org and go to the executive committee, it has all of our emails listed. So you can contact me there for official party business as well. Awesome. And Jeffrey, I may be wrong on this, but just so I can uh, tell the audience, it is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. Correct. Yes. It usually a lot of people spell Jeffrey R-E-Y, but I'm, I'm an Uri E-R-Y. <laughs> just to make sure if people are trying to find you. Uh, Kevin, any last words of wisdom? Uh, yeah. If you're running one of these races, just uh, when, when you win it, just get ready for the emotions because it's a, it's a little overwhelming. You don't really know how much of a toll it's taken on you until it all kind of comes to a head. Uh, that would be it, my best advice. It has been exhausting and we've still got a few more days to go. I'm really looking, no matter what happens on May 1st, I'm really looking forward to May 2nd because this has just been an, a full-time gig. Um, and so I, I, I'm yeah. really looking forward to seeing how things turn out. And even up to this point, we've already got, we've already captured the chair for the two largest counties in the state. So I mean, in a lot of ways, we've already won. Yeah. And whatever happens on May 1st is just going to be icing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So definitely keep Kevin and I posted. We're going to drop this tomorrow. So it'll drop a few days before the convention, but keep us posted uh, as the day goes on. So we really appreciate your time, guys. This was a fantastic episode. I think it gives people a glimpse into one of the more important states in the country. So thank you. Yep. Well, well, thank you for having us. Yeah, Absolutely. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you guys. Hold all my calls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here too. <laughs>